Hello and welcome to Plotris. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're reviewing How to Catch a Queen by Alyssa Cole. And full disclosure, we were given a copy of this book through NetGalley for our review, but as usual, this will be unbiased. This is a new release that just came out on December 1st, 2020, and is the first book in the new Runaway Royals series that said this book definitely takes place in the same universe as Alyssa Cole's previous series. Yeah, so her previous series was the Reluctant Royals series. Now we have Runaway Royals. It's it's the same world. I guess the I guess the main difference is that one of the royals in this one is going to want to run away, and the royals in the other one weren't sure they wanted to be royals to start with. Yeah, um, that said, there is a reluctant royal in this, so I'm really not sure what the distinction is. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, I don't think there is much of a distinction. Let's yeah. be honest. But it, basically, if you if you liked the runaway royals, excuse me, if you liked the reluctant royals then this is a continuation in the same universe. None of the characters, no, they did. Some of the characters even appear on the page. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are they are less interwoven in the plot, I will say that. Yeah, but there's still text chats between all the characters. There are, there, there are indeed. Yeah. Okay. Let's read the jacket. When Shanti Mahapi weds the king of Najaza, Her dream of becoming a queen finally comes true, but it's nothing like she imagined. Shanti and her husband may share an immediate and powerful attraction, but her subjects see her as an outsider, and everything she was taught about being the perfect wife goes disastrously wrong. A king must rule with an iron fist, and newly crowned King Sanyu was born perfectly fitted for the gauntlet, even if he wishes he weren't. He agrees to take a wife, as is required of him, though he doesn't expect to actually fall in love. Even more vexing, his beguiling new queen seems to have the answers to his country's problems, except no one will listen to her. By day, they lead separate lives. By night, she wears the crown, and he bows to her demands in matters of politics and passion. When turmoil erupts in their kingdom and their marriage, Shanti goes on the run. And Sanyu must learn whether he has what it takes both to lead his people and to catch his queen. I was there with this jacket until the third paragraph. Yep. I mean, we, we you again, it's got the it's in the sweet spot. We know who the characters are, we know when they meet, we know what the issue is, which is she wants to be a queen, he's having some issues being a king. But does she rule? Does she wear the crown at night? This makes it sound like there's some kind of like DS, BDSM. It implies that, but it also implies she's the like power behind the crown, which is explicitly not what this book is about. Correct. But other than that, you get a pretty good idea. The vibe is right. The vibe is right. Yeah. Uh, so as usual, we wrote our own summaries based on a randomly generated number. And for this episode, that number was 15. Do you want to start it off, Lane? Sure. I think we hit similar themes. So when you aren't born royal, the only option is to surprise marry an unprepared king. I mean, yeah, obviously. <laughs> Here's mine. A book about a royal chaser who gets her wish of marrying a king. But 
good. <laughs> like, if you had told me that I was going to be reading a book about a, a girl who grew up and her ambition was to be a queen, I would have been like, yeah, pass. Like, I don't want to read that book. <laughs> yeah. And I, Shanti is a likable character. I'm not sure that I fully bought her I'm going to be a queen ambition stuff. I kind of just let it go because I was enjoying the book otherwise. Yeah. This is, it's one of those books where, and this happens relatively often in historical romances, is I'll read it and there's going to be some kind of weird ass setup that normally I would not be into. There's a bet they, that, you know, this guy can, can seduce this girl. The, 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 the father loses uh, a hand of cards and the girl's got to marry the dude. Like that was the, the wager. That stuff is really ridiculous. And if it happened in Vegas, I would be, this is gross. And I'd like throw up. Right. <laughs> I have, I said this when we reviewed a prince on paper. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that these romances, these Royal romances by Alyssa Cole are contemporary novels, contemporary romances that are good for historical readers. So good for historical people who like historical romance and can handle these weird setups and just sort of take it at face value and run with it. Um, so in my opinion, these are really good contemporaries if you like historicals. Yeah, but there are things I sort of can let go in a historical that I struggle to let go of in a contemporary. And I think some of that, for example, I think her I'm going to be queen was sort of comparable to a lot of little girls. I'm going to be president. Right. Except one president of your country that you feel loyalty to does feel somewhat different to me than just a queen of any country I can get married into. Yeah. And to the element of choosing to be or wanting to be a queen versus wanting to be a president that requires sacrifice of your personal life mm -hmm. like literally requires you marry strategically right. I don't think this book delved into as much as I wish it did I agree I in agree a universe where women can have a career yes choosing queen as the best way to exercise power and being willing to sacrifice everything in your personal life including the potential romantic love, romantic love is something that if you're going to make that decision, I really need the text to explore that choice. Yeah. And even if it's unbelievable, like I'm willing to be on the ride, but you can't just, I can't just accept it. Yeah. I, I think she did do some of the groundwork there. So she explained how the reason she wanted to do it was because in her country, there's a queen and that queen was really wonderful. And, um, the speeches that the queen made and things like that. So I think, I think she got me there. I think Alyssa Cole got me got me there more than she got you there. I was along for the ride a little bit longer than you. Yeah, and I ended up just being like, whatever, this book is so fun, and Shanti is such a fun character that I'm willing to let it go. And I, I did love Shanti. I loved Shanti a lot. And when you first meet her, you're like, okay, I don't know if I'm going to love this girl. I mean, she's fortune hunter par excellence. You know, all she, all she wanted to do was marry a king. All she wanted to do yeah, was marry she's, a king. Less of a fortune hunter and more of a power hunter. Yes, exactly. She wants to change the world for the better. And in her opinion, how how better to do that than to become the queen of a somewhere. Right. 
But it's it's sort of, I guess part of the reason, this goes hand in hand with queenly ambition, sort of not quite being something I bought into as a legitimate concept and a legitimate choice for this character. Mm-hmm. Inherently, the concept of hereditary monarchy is based on your bloodline, you are best equipped to lead. Yes. And so looking at that as an outsider and saying, I should be that. So I'm going to marry into it. Mm-hmm. So then I have equal power. There is some. There is an implication there of elitism and divine right that you then can share in that power, and then that power structure is not questioned. Yeah. In inherently and- saying, I am e- we're equal, on equal footing to this divinely inspired person, why are they divinely inspired? Like, the thought process never gets followed through. Well, and it is interesting, too, that in a book that's explicitly feminist— She's sharing in the power of a king. Yes. I mean, uh, there is a difference between a queen and a king, right? Yep. I don't know. It's so, but if you accept that as being okay, then the book just really flows and is so fun. Yes. And it's kind of why I wanted to talk about it at the beginning, because overall, I, I... I really like this. This is my favorite Alyssa Cole that I've read. Yeah. But I do think there's a reason I prefer historicals to even the most historically styled contemporary. Mm -hmm. And it is because I am way more caught up in like details of believability with things that take place in some facsimile of the modern world. Well, exactly. I mean, in this world, there, there is in Shant, in Najaza, which is the, the country that Shanti is queen of, they um, they're considering taking a loan with the World Bank or not. And it's like, okay, so the World Bank exists and um, that imperialist institution is examined critically in detail. But it's true. Why don't we take the step further then and also examine the concept of, of monarchy or, or, or but but anyway, <laughs> the the major trope, uh, as you probably guessed, is marriage of convenience. And this goes one step further because he's not aware it's happening. He's not aware it's happening. And not only that, in Najaza, apparently, there was a recent tradition of having the queen be there for basically like one quarter of the year. And it's like a, third, a test it's period. four months. Excuse me, a, a third of the year. So she has to be there for four months. Uh, it's like a test run. And then if she's the true queen, then she'll stay on. So, very interesting. So, in other words, um, San Yu's father never had a true queen. He basically had a series of hundreds of marriages of convenience over the years. Yeah, tens at the very least. Oh, at at the very least, dozens. Yeah, so he, this book is a really interesting commentary on marriage. Yes, yes, it is. Yes, it is. I want to talk about that later, like a lot, actually. So let's just say a marriage between a man and a woman isn't actually even the tradition in Jaza, which is why I find the concept of the true queen so interesting. Um, He has daddy issues out the wazoo. Oh, my God. So this book, in addition to being a critique of, like, post-colonialism and stuff like that, it's also a critique of uh, toxic masculinity. Yes. 
because poor Sanyu has been raised from his earliest days to know that not only is he going to take over the kingship, he is also not worthy of it. Right, by both of his dads. Mm-hmm. Both of his dads, you say? I thought his father was heterosexual and had lots of queens. Well, he did, but his father's closest advisor was really another father to Sanyu. Yeah, but it's also sort of implied it might have been a romantic relationship. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was. Yes, it is. Some of that was more ambiguous than I would have liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if this were a historical romance, yes, then Shanti would 100% be an activist blue stocking. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So if you are on board with the activist blue stocking, probably want to get on the Shanti train. Yes. Although that said, she, in addition to being really smart and learning um, economics and has, you know, being a revolutionary activist. She is also basically like beauty queen material. Yeah, but I think we've seen some activist blue stockings who were. But then they wouldn't be the blue stocking. They would be like the activist on the DL in historical. I'm just, you know. True, true, true. <laughs> There's the, the historical parallel only goes so far. It only goes so far, yes. Um, there is, as as the book jacket states, Shanti does go on the run, and Sanyu's got to take a nice little road trip to find her. And those road trips, I think, occur in all three of the Bromance Book Club series, at the very least. I so I can, I can think of several modern romance novels where the road trip to get the girl who's gone on the run is the denouement. Yeah. Uh, and as you as probably guessed, the kingdom is in crisis right now. And I don't think we've read Kingdom in Crisis in any other romance novels, but Dukedom in Crisis is a pretty normal. Or Barony in Crisis, whatever. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, and then one of, our, one of our favorite tropes is she, someone is holding her mail from her. Yes. And a lot of times when this trope is existent, it's somebody is keeping the letters between the lovers from yes. getting there. But in this case, all of her mail is being held, and Sonia is the one who helps her get her letters back. Yeah, so it's, it's a actually, fun, like use of a trope, but it's a little bit different than the standard. It was so sweet. I actually like really loved that. <laughs> Me too. And then, as we mentioned, he sort of was raised by his father, the king, and the king's closest advisor. But the old guard is stuck in the old ways and thinks the most important thing is to take care of the kingdom, even if it means betraying Sanyu. Yeah. And I think we've seen this, like, in historical romances when the, like, attorney is mm-hmm. doing something behind the person's back. And it's not always with malicious intent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most but- of the time, not most of the time. Many times they're just trying to do what your father would have done or whatever, you know. Yep. I've been doing it the same way for years and no one's ever complained. Yes. Yep. Uh, So like we said, if you read The Reluctant Royals, we do meet Shanti. We meet Shanti in the first. um, So which one is that? Uh, Princess in Theory. And then we also see her in uh, A Prince on Paper. So we meet her in both. And in the first one, she thinks she's going to marry 
the king of Sisola, which is her country right. where she comes from. Unfortunately, she doesn't get to marry him. Um, unfortunately for her, of course, fortunately for our favorite character. And she's absent in the second book. And then in the third book, she's the queen. She actually is the queen. And our our heroes, our hero and heroine, our couple go to visit them. And they get to be there for a very uncomfortable moment. Yeah. So basically the timeline of this book is the first chapter prologue. I don't remember how it was structured is San Yu realizing his father's dying, that he's going to be king and being told by his closest advisor that he needs to get married right now. The bride's already here. And if he doesn't go through it, he's just disappointing his father forever. Yep. Then flash forward three months. Yep. They've barely seen each other. She's made no progress. She just stays in a room the whole time. And at some point in that three-month period is when the visit that occurs in the third Reluctant Royals books happens. So you don't see that scene again in this book, but it's mentioned as something that happened historically. Yeah. And I, when I realized who this book was going to be about, I was like, hmm, how am I going to like Shanti because she's she is not presented very sympathetically in the other books that we've seen her in although you don't feel in the by the third book you don't feel too bad for her although you're kind of like hmm you know what's going on here well you feel but terrible the, for her in the third book because you watch her get mistreated and I didn't book. realize in the third book doesn't really give you context that she'd appeared mm -hmm. in the first book right. so the third book she's presented sympathetically I don't know what happened in the first yeah, I mean, in the first book, she's basically trying to take the place of our heroines. Of course, we hate her. Got it. So. But I do, I did really end up liking her. So I, I will say that Alyssa Cole did a very good job of presenting someone who could have been a very unsympathetic character in a really sympathetic light. Yeah, and I think if this were a historical romance, we'd be talking about how women have limited means of effectuating power, and we want to celebrate women who found ways to get power in any way they could. That's just a little bit disingenuous here, because it's women don't have limited access to power in the same way. Not in the it, same, not in the same way. As, not as limited, but yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Agreed. But, um, yeah. so... We've talked a lot about Shanti, right, as this royal chaser. So Sanyu is, as Meg mentioned and as the jacket sort of mentioned, the sole heir to this kingdom who's been raised knowing his only responsibility is to father, follow in his father's footsteps. And Najaza is a country that was, until very recently, a colonial power of Lesotho. Uh, a colonial power of... Um... Wherever Jojo was from, which is not Sorry. Luxembourg, but... Lichten... Lichtenborg. <laughs> not Lesotho, sorry. You know why that's all in my brain. Um, yeah, is is a colonial power of Lichtenborgish, whatever. And then the, that 50 years ago, Sanyu's father, also named Sanyu, um, and his coterie overthrew the colonial power and established this absolute monarchy. So not only is Sanyu the sole heir, he's the sole heir to this very newly established 
government and the first government led by an Ajazan national in after centuries of colonialism. So it's not just the pressure of living up to his father. It's the pressure pressure of keeping together this country that is only just now really coming up out in the post-colonial era. Yeah. And the way Sanyu was raised was, uh, so I mentioned toxic masculinity, but basically he was raised by two men. And these two men were like, one was his father who was, you know, the, the iron fist in an iron glove. Like there's no velvet glove involved here. You know, like he was, you know, he ruled the country as an absolute monarch. Um, He was a great warrior, but he was, you get the impression he was, he was jovial to a degree, like in the way that he could turn on you in a second and kill you. But in terms of the way he treated Sonyu, like he'd let Sonyu play in his office, play with swords, play, but there was an element of joy. Right. In the relationship between Sonyu and his father. Yes. And then he, his other father, so his father's closest advisor, uh, Musoke. And Musoke is supposed to be the embodiment of the wisdom. But basically the wisdom of Musoke is to make Sanyu feel like he will never live up to his father. Right. That feeling any fear or any doubt about his position means that he's unworthy. And of course, if you're being raised by a great man, you're going to feel some doubt, right? Some anxiety. And if you're right, and then it's just, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Exactly. You're anxious, then you realize you're unworthy, then you're anxious because you're unworthy, and he ends up basically feeling like a worm. And that was a really interesting part of this book, because Sanyu is 32 mm-hmm. at the beginning of this book, and you're in his head for a prologue, chapter one, whichever it is. He struck me as much younger. Yeah. And I think that was a deliberate choice. I think that has to do with kind of the sheltered and, and insecure environment in which he was raised. And obviously, mm-hmm. it's not like he was a normal person having to mature. He's just been waiting as the heir apparent for three exactly. decades. Exactly. But he definitely struck me as young and immature. Yes. But I, again, that's not something, this is not a criticism at all. No. This no, no, is no, no, no. totally a product of how he was raised. And you get the feeling that Musoke almost was trying to keep him as a child so that he would continue to rely on his older mentor to make all the decisions. So there is a power behind the throne, but that power behind the throne is Musoke. Yeah. And the impression you get is that Sanyu's father was happy to pers- like pursue that dynamic. He had been the warrior king, the face of the country, more interested in obtaining the power and then wielding it than running the country. Exactly. But it doesn't necessarily seem like Masoke was that interested in running the country either. Well, I think he was, but he he wasn't interested in actually learning about how you should govern a country. Right. If that is that distinction makes sense, right? It does as someone who has read the book. Yeah, okay. Good. Um, but it, it is very interesting to read from the perspective of a character who has some major social anxiety and stage fright and is expected in his job to be on stage all the time his life for, the, for like the first time in his life yeah because as the yeah. prince he wasn't act like no one started to ease him into governance he went from being a prince kept basically imprisoned in the castle to the leader of the country overnight yeah. 
So it was, I thought Alyssa Cole did an amazing job with this character, basically, because I, I believed everything that I read about Sonia. Yep. I mean, I was like, of course he feels like shit. Of course he feels unworthy. Of course he has stage fright. Like all of it makes sense. That level of sympathy for a character with the wealth and power he has Mm -hmm. is a talent. Exactly. Exactly. Um, And in addition, of course, he sounded like he was super hot. They both did. I mean, we laugh about all the crappy excuses that we have in romance novels. I say crappy like it's criticism. It's not for people to be like in really good shape. So we we didn't have this on here, but we can do it. We can have Gentleman Jackson get fit workout for the both king of and queen of Jaza. King and well, queen of Jaza, yes. She was, like, in an effort to be a perfect queen, an Olympic caliber bow fighter. Yep. Who, the only reason she wasn't actually in the Olympics was her parents were too worried it would ruin her pretty face. Mm-hmm. Loved it. And, of course, Sanyu, from the age of two has had a sword in his hand, right? So his because, father has raised him to be a warrior. Right, because this is a kingdom that literally just retook its independence, not independence, but like self-governance or national governance. Yes. So like his father literally became king because he was the general in the war. It's yep. not like it's for show. There is yep. still kind of a be- cultural belief that he needs to be ready to pick up the sword at any time. So, so there are both super sexy like loved it I loved it I loved it so much Lane I was like please yes give me hot yeah and he's huge they mentioned in passing he's like 6'5 for no reason I was like cool yep he's like 6'5 he's got like all this muscle because also how does he deal with his social anxiety by working out they both deal with anger and frustration by working out when she gets upset in the council meeting she goes and practices her bow fighting it's like okay fine perfect people continue it's awesome i mean it's awesome i wish that whenever i got stressed out i was like i'm going on a run you know <laughs> yeah and not like oh i'm gonna bake cookies and then eat a dozen exactly exactly uh, but i i mean i loved it um speaking of looking super hot i love how shanti Shanti is the exact opposite of you don't know you're beautiful because she knows that she's super oh, yeah. hot. She's like, I'm super hot. And she's like, yeah, I know that people think I'm probably stupid because I look so hot, but I'm not. I'm hot and I'm smart. And it's sort of a neurosis for her. Yeah. Because she's decided she wanted to be a queen. Her parents decided to support her in that. But to her, that means perfection in every aspect. Mm-hmm. She is constantly put together. She is in fantastic state shape. She has an extensive knowledge of geopolitical history and current social issues. She's a doer. Mm-hmm. And if I actually had one criticism of this book, Shanti is never really wrong. She's not. Other than she's like sneaking out to be a revolutionary and she gets caught and that ends up feeling like a betrayal within her marriage. She, she says that she wishes she had done it in a different way, but she doesn't regret the fact that she did it. Exactly. And I do wish a character who like had the personality of, I'm going to check every box. So I'm going to be worthy of achieving my dreams was forced to like recognize that that isn't necessarily a path to happiness. Yeah. Like I, like I wish she'd 
realized her single mindedness hurt people in a more like, I'm sorry, I hurt you, but I'm not sorry. I did it. I wish she'd been forced to do. I actually, the, the end conflict where the book ended up basically saying he was totally in the wrong mm-hmm. and she was totally in the right. I actually thought she was kind of in the wrong there too. And I wish the book had said that. I, I understand where you're coming from. At the same time, I also understand, I think, where Alyssa Cole is coming from, which is I'm going to give you a strong, black, confident woman who goes after what she wants and she gets it. Yeah, I just think, like, even in romance novels, true perfection is boring. And Shanti veered on too perfect. Yeah, I don't know. She didn't, it didn't bother me, but. She never had to, like, look inward in a way that I think my favorite romance heroines do. That's that's true. The only again, there there was one time where she was like, okay, and then she did grapple with what happens if this really is a temporary marriage. But of course, it's not. And Spo- it, spoiler alert: they do they end, end up together. <laughs> we mentioned so the reason she was sneaking out is when she felt so powerless. When she realized she was there to be a queen in name only, and wouldn't even have access to the king. She started sneaking out at night, even like she wasn't trapped in the palace. She was allowed to leave, but she didn't want anyone asking questions about like why she was leaving in disguise. Mm-hmm. She starts sneaking out at night to meet with a group of like feminist revolutionaries pushing for specific change on individual social issues. Mm-hmm. And if the king won't listen to them, they're willing to con- like consider the idea of like social revolution. Right. But to what end is sort of ambiguous. Yes. So I, I, this is another place where I think I, I think I understand where Elizabeth was coming from, Mm -hmm. but I'm not sure I loved how it played out. Yeah. I I don't, I, I, I don't know if I can get more in depth than that. You know, so okay. I honestly, I don't know if I have anything that I specifically disliked about Shanti, except for, I, I suppose, the fact that she was lying both to the group of women and to her, her husband. I don't know if that's what actually bothered me the most, but it was a part, it was an issue for me. I, don't, I, I also didn't love the way it played out and wish we could discuss it more in depth because I do think it gets into like the book's relationship with feminism and politics and but like overall good book worth reading not gonna spoil it for you um all right were there any content warnings or anything that you found offensive in the book okay jazz and marriage traditionally prior to colonial invasion was actually a three-way marriage between two men and one woman. Uh, so that's that's what we've seen is two men and one woman. I'm actually not sure it's always two men and one woman because I think it's supposed to be th- uh, uh, people who represent, three people who represent different aspects of the the trinity of gods. And they did say that, well, this, although this one goddess is usually the goddess of love. So this it's uh what are this warrior love and wisdom. Mm-hmm. Right? So those are the three. I think love and peace were presented interchangeably. Yeah, love and peace. So they're yeah. yeah. Uh and so 
although the only examples we got were two men and one woman, I was one. And again, so this is not explicit. This is me saying, oh, maybe I didn't understand. I think it may also be, it could be any three people, but each of the three people has to represent one of the, one of the gods, right? Yeah. But most of the time it's wisdom as a man, war as a man, and peace as a woman. That's the part that offended me. <laughs> yeah. That, and that's what I was getting. Like, I was not offended by the concept of matrimonial structure being different in Najazan culture. I actually did sort of wonder then why our romantic pairing was a traditional heterosexual match. That was sort of answered. Sort of. Not really. I didn't not care because really. I'm really only interested in reading heterosexual matches. So sue me. So like, whatever, that's fine. But I did, it did sort of bother me. I get that they gave the lip service of the gods never had gender. We ascribed it to them later. But the concept of women as peace and love, women as matriarchs, because even though he was raised by two dads without his mom in the picture, he still got all of the love and affection from the temporary wives during the brief time they were there. Mm -hmm. I got that we were sort of looking at a traditional society, Mm -hmm. but sort of the modern idea, progressive acceptance of polyamorous and other non-traditionally heterosexual couples as the norm paired with this extremely regressive view of women Mm -hmm. did bother me a little bit intellectually. Yeah. No. And I guess the way I dealt with was, Oh, it could be any people, the three aspects, but it would have been nice to see a marriage of three women or a marriage of three men or two women and one man or whatever. It would have been nice to see. Yeah. Well, like I also only, yeah. know, this is one when you introduce something like that okay that was the traditional marital structure what's the current tradition mm-hmm. like how many people are in those three-way marriages versus like when you start to like describe things that are outside of our cultural understanding as the norm as the norm yes do you think it would have been better to fully dive into that especially when so many of the central issues of this book had to do with repression of women Yes, I agree. I, I, I agree. I totally agree. I thought it was a really cool idea. Um, and they talked about how this traditional marriage was coming, sort of coming back in style, which, and so it would have been really interesting and cool to go into that, you know, mm-hmm. but, but they, they didn't. So I wasn't offended by the idea of a three-way marriage. I, like Lane, I do wish it had been examined more critically or more closely yep offended is the wrong word it's not like I think what was there was like done badly mm-hmm. exactly yes let's talk about sexiness did you think this was quite sexy yes so did I so, so here's sexy. I was just complaining about like unbelievable plot elements there's some unbelievable sex in here that I'm not going to complain about. Nope. <laughs> Perhaps I don't, I don't care how he, there is one sex scene. They're not even against the wall. They're freestanding in a hallway. This dude the whole time. I, I mean, they, they talk about how he's like tall and like giant and like muscular. And then he proves it by just, you know, like, she jumps into his arms, wraps her legs around his waist, and just, like, freestanding. They make it work. He, and you realize they're not against a wall because afterward he falls back into the wall. Mm-hmm. 
he stumbles backward and actually hits a wall and you're just like, wait. Okay. You're like, you're like wait, I have to read that again now that I have a different image in my mind, you know? <laughs> yeah, like I'm picturing the Colossus at Rhodes. Like just yeah. legs spread and bounce. Yes. Yep. Yep. Pretty much. I agree with you. I will say this it there is this line. I texted this to Lane when I read it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you found it any more acceptable when you read it in the book. I thought it was so funny. He goes to visit her and she's wearing like a velour, a yellow velour mm-hmm. um, pajamas. Mm-hmm. And he goes, oh, she's like a sexy Pikachu. And then he thinks in his mind, oh, my God, I can't believe I thought that. And then he thinks, but it's true, though. <laughs> that didn't bother me. The only line that got an eye roll from me for the cheese factor in this book was the first time she, oh, maybe it's not the first time. I think the second time they have sex. He takes off his pants and sits down and tells her to come sit on her throne. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> I don't know. Now my queen, come sit on your throne and it's his dick. I was like, eh. <laughs> I could do without this. But I, I actually like loved the sexy Pikachu thing because, because first of all, he thought it. Second of all, he was like, ew, I can't believe I thought that. Third of all, he's like, what can I say? Fourth, as a reader, you go through the same emotions as he does. And at the same time, it is an image. You know exactly what she looks like. Yep. I was like, wait, that actually was like the perfect image. And the fact that she's able to call it out in the line, I was like, this is perfect. Yeah, no, it was really, really fun. I really bought the chemistry between the two characters too. Yeah. And I also liked that, So we talk about how sex is used, right, to build mm-hmm. relationships or to strengthen plot points. Or, And in this book, it was interesting to me that what they really put forward was, yes, she has the intellect to help him and the knowledge to help him rule the kingdom. And that might have been what got him to her door. But the second they were back in proximity with one another, they acknowledged their mutual attraction and that they both wanted to see it through, regardless of what that meant about their interpersonal dynamic. Yep. And so I thought it was really interesting and unique to see a book where they really were separating sex from their relationship with the intent from both of them that this was not a romantic situation. Right. That like he didn't think marriages were for love because he thought wives were disposable and she didn't think marriages were for love because their only purpose to her was to get her a queen title. Right. And so they like literally come to an agreement and it's not like, a pact. I think in a historical romance novel, it would end up being a weird bet or something. Right, yeah. Where in this case, they kind of joke about it, but it isn't really. Yeah. Um, but like, he's like, hey, I need you to help me run the country. And she's like, hey, I would like orgasms. <laughs> yeah. But I liked the practicality of it. And I think. I, I love the practicality of it. I also loved um, how they, they talked about their sexual past. Like they, they had just had a conversation about it and neither of them were jealous of the other one. Neither of them were upset with the other one. I just thought it was really nice. And it wasn't like, have you been tested? It wasn't that kind of talk either, you know? No, right. It was just an honest assessment of like their feelings about the relationship between sex and love. Mm-hmm. And yes. like they were agreeing to and agreeing to have sex with one another, like setting expectations. Yeah, I I thought I thought the sex was very well done. 
all Same. everything, the conversations about it, the sex itself. I, I thought it was great. I, I mean, Alyssa Cole is just a great writer. The more I read of her, the more I'm like, oh, she can, this girl can write, you know? Yep. So. So overall, this is a really fun new release. Definitely recommend checking it out if you like contempts or you're willing to try out a contempt with a historical feel. And if you like our podcast, we'd love it if you could rate, review, and subscribe. 